Hello and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. If you're watching and not listening, yes, I got a haircut. If you're listening, imagine me with a haircut. This week's episode is with Rob Laska, the singer of the band Valley. And this was such a cool episode. I've been a fan of Valley, but admittedly kind of like a passive fan. I found them on Spotify. I would listen to songs, but I never did the deep dive. And then one day it kind of hit me. I was like, this is sick. Why do I not know more about them? So as I start digging in and seeing more of their visuals and everything that ties together, it's like, all right, I just need to hit them up. So Rob was down to join the podcast and share the entire story of the band and the come up and their writing process. and some of his inspirations and how he got to where he was at. So overall, it was just this really fun episode. And if you listen to the pod enough, you know how much I like to make new friends and hear these stories in real time. And that was exactly what this was. And it was just so rad. I'm so impressed by them as a band, so much more so than I already was after hearing the story. So if you've heard of them, you're going to love this episode. And if you haven't heard of them, you're welcome. You just found a new incredible band. And it's a great conversation, so I think you'll enjoy it. Let's get into it. Where are all my friends? Rob Laska, Valley. This is cool. I'm excited. Um, I've been a fan of the band really just by the internet. I found the music. It had to have been like a Spotify discovery algorithm or something like that. And I don't know, I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but sometimes you'll find a band, you'll throw it in your playlist, you'll listen, but then it kind of just stays there. And I had this moment where I was listening again and I was like, why don't I know anything else about this band? This is sick. And then I kind of look at the Instagram and I look at the visuals and I'm like, this is very intentional. This is very thought out. There's something here. And that's really where I'm at with this. So it is an honor that you were down to do this. And I'm so excited to actually kind of learn the story in real time because I need to be educated. I, I, I've been sleeping on this for too long as a, a passive fan. What an intro. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, that's honestly probably the best intro I've ever gotten on a, on a podcast or an interview. So kudos to you. Dang. Well, shoot. Awesome. Well, the way that I like to do the podcast is obviously here, it's just you, Rob, singer of the band for a listener who doesn't know. And I think that'll actually be fun because most of the format with this podcast is like a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, but I really like to start it at your early days or kind of where that, that thing clicks, like where you went from living your life to finding that passion, whatever that is, be it music, or maybe it was something before that, that got it there. And like that early kind of time of you figuring it all out and putting it together and then maybe lead me up to Valley starting. Mm -hmm. I actually enjoy telling this story. Um, and this is not to, to, I guess, pigeonholed kind of a stereotype or something. But I feel like we're living in a day and age where like artists, projects and bands um, kind of build up and form. And I'm not going to say in an unorganic way. It's just very different. I think with like the digital age that we're just like fully sunken now, you know, bands and people meet through DMs and through, you know, it's it's such an online based thing. And I think with Valley meeting, it happened in a very organic way. It happened not through like we, you know, we were in high school in 2012, 2013. Like we still didn't really like Instagram was happening. Facebook was happening, but like we weren't like obsessed and on those platforms all the time. We were like communicating in person. So like we, me and Alex, yeah. who plays bass in our band, went to high school together. And then Kara and Mickey. So Kara plays drums and Mickey plays uh, guitar and sings and stuff. 
um, they went to high school together. So was, we were actually in two separate kind of um, suburban towns just outside Toronto. So we're sub- suburb kids kind of grew up in a more blue collar, I guess, environment. Yeah, we, I mean, me and Alex were in high school and just re- were recording and learning about music. And, you know, we were in band together and kind of like jazz nerds. And we decided to record some music. And my sister's friend, out of all people, um, like worked at a studio. He had like a part-time kind of uh, job at a studio and he booked us like a day to just come in and record and just have fun and basically me and Alex show up and Karen and Nikki are there because they had their own thing going on and we basically got double booked by accident like complete fluke and we just showed up and we were like we're supposed to be like in the studio right now like why are you here and they're like but we're supposed to be here so Steve the engineer just messed up and uh, double booked us and then that's kind of like the spark notes version of how valley met um which is crazy and there's so many like that's so nuts. it's very nuts like for this day and age i always kind of pinch myself and forget like we met in a very serendipitous and like kind of like spiritual way which i love like it's yeah. the fun story. well when you think about the layers to that too it's like okay cool you meet you have the same taste in music mm-hmm. but there's so much more that goes into being in a band and becoming partners and essentially a business mm-hmm. so the fact that that serendipitous moment brought y'all together and then you clicked on so many levels that need to be there to do it right it's just like wow that's there's something in the universe i don't know 100 percent. i we believe that wholly with with that story and like not even that like uh, there's so many through lines uh attached to that story so one of the first songs that me and alex ever sang together and covered in high school was a song called everywhere by fleetwood mac um and that was the first song that we like showed Kara and Mickey in the studio being like, hey, we're working on this Fleetwood Mac cover. And the craziness with that is like, we watched this like Sound City documentary that we were obsessed with like in high school. And like Fleetwood Mac is a huge band for us. Um, I know they're a little bit beyond like the new TikTok era and a lot of maybe younger kids don't, I don't even know if they know Fleetwood Mac, but um, there's so much like energy and that band kind of just like really spoke to us early on in our days because they're they were a co-ed band that also were two people put together. Like it's it's crazy. Were they? Yeah, really? it's like I didn't know it's that. It's so nuts. Like they basically met kind of at Sound City, and like Stevie Nicks and like Lindsey Buckingham had uh, their own project called Buckingham Nicks, and they like kind of met at Sound City, and then started Fleetwood Mac together, and they joined, and just there's so many through lines with that band and our band, and the fact that it was co-ed, like Kara plays drums for us and she's a badass and so awesome and i don't know it's just like so many just kind of things that like zooming out i was like man we were really meant to like meet that day and like the fact that we showed them a fleetwood mac song it just like really all came together so yeah and by the way like speaking of like facebook and stuff like back in 2012 2013 which is scary because that seems so long ago now like we didn't have any mutual friends on Facebook or anything. Like when we got double booked, like I remember adding Mickey and Kara on Facebook and it's like no mutual friends. So like it was like very much random, which I, yeah, I'm so thankful for. Um, I don't know what the hell we'd be doing if that moment didn't happen. So to be honest, shout out Steve. Steve, the engineer who was my sister's friend who just happened to make that really silly mistake by booking us. Um, And Okay, so... (laughs) My instant next follow-up question, though, Mm -hmm. is you guys were both in bands doing your thing. I would have to imagine you were passionate about what you were doing, planning, whatever. Mm -hmm. 
So there had to have been like a moment where you were like, okay, I guess actually let's put our projects on pause and like, let's do this thing together, right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, the crazy thing is, is like how easy of a transition or like end it was. And oh, I mean, there's, wow, a, there's really? a few factors that play into it. Like me and so Alex was the band that me and Alex had. Um, Alex was kind of like the fifth member. He was the producer engineer. He kind of like he's kind of like the manager too. Like he was kind of just helping us a lot. Yeah. And we were already kind of fizzling out like just that kind of classic scenario where, you know, one person wants to go to college, one person like this was right after high school. So people were kind of uh, coming to terms and like with what they want to do. And they're all dear friends of ours. But, you know, we kind of drifted apart naturally and it just happened. So me and Alex were already kind of looking for a way out. We were like, okay, this band isn't going to last. I love these guys to death, but like we need to continue because we have such a like burning desire and passion to, to doing this. Yeah. So that kind of was our, our parachute, our like kind of moment to just kind of jump off the ledge and, and hopefully, you know, meet some people. And Karen and Mickey came in the picture and Karen and Mickey were kind of just doing more, um, you know, uh, like cover stuff, like kind of, you know, like let's play, let's do a bunch of covers and put them on YouTube and kind of, they grew up in that mm. very specific era. I mean, we were a part of it too, but we were more of like a indie kind of rock pop band, but they were doing the whole like, let's cover songs, just put them up on YouTube and maybe someone will discover us. Yeah. Like that was- Which honestly I think is smart. Oh, yeah. Like it's a decent model sure. for getting discovered. Mm -hmm. Um, but they they had enough faith, like the, the dynamic and the energy was good enough where they're like, all right, cool. Like we could go back and do exactly, covers if we need yeah. to, but let's see what's for up sure. here. And we also saw, I think we were at a point in our lives where we saw each other's potential. So, you know, they looked at, you know, maybe me and Alex and, you know, we came from a very kind of indie rock background. So I was introducing them to a lot of music they've never heard of. And then Mickey and Kara had a really strong understanding of pop songwriting and, and the craft of songwriting. So they were kind of being like, hey, like we can, you know, you guys are kind of bringing these like five minute like indie rock songs. And we have these like two and a half minute, three minute constructed pop songs that, you know, take a lot of work to craft and make perfect. So yeah, I don't know. It, it, there was just such a nice, beautiful artistic trade off. And that's kind of how Valley like started just rolling. And that was seven years later now, which is crazy. We're, uh, we're here. Seven years, I think, yes, of 2013, 2014. Yeah, whatever it is. Long enough. That's another thing that I wanted to ask you about was I feel like I, I talk about this topic a lot, but I think it really does deserve being talked about and really stopping and taking a second to think about this. But mm -hmm. like the internet makes everything look like instant success. Oh, yeah. You see people popping off. You yeah. see like any type of success or, or levels up and you're just like, damn, must be nice. I want that. And like, yeah, it's a good thing to want. But that's some time in the game mm -hmm. to get to the spot now because I see it like I see it clicking now. Like as I look at everything you guys are doing and it's all coming together and you have such a defined image and brand. So but that's seven years. That's seven years of putting that together, huh? It's seven years of yeah discovery and and yeah I I think that just also comes from our our mentality early on. I remember when we first got together in Mike's or Mickey's basement and we just like started discussing kind of goals and like where are we gonna take this. Once we started feeling like a little bit of success or like you know a song got like five hundred plays, that was like the biggest when yeah. we got like even a five hundred clicks or whatever. Like we were like okay man like this might become something so. Early on, we always told ourselves, like, we're, you know, we have to, our favorite artists that changed our lives 
um, took the long game. And it's not the long game as in like, you know, you're going to artistically suffer more, but it's just, um, you have to put in your 10,000 hours. And I think that that has always ring true for us. Um, some of our closest collaborators and our favorite artists um, had to do that. It was, it was a journey and like, there's so much of their past that they might be embarrassed about, or they were trying to find themselves and whatever. But if you can get over those humps of like, Oh, everything has to be perfect from the start. And like, I, I don't deserve, or like, I don't deserve the room to like self-discover and figure out what I really want um, publicly. Like it's, it can get really kind of messy. So we just kind of committed to the fact that, Hey, we're this band right now, but like we're committing to just growth and like change. And we want to build this the right way and just like really take the time to figure out what we want to be. And and that took up to six, seven years. And like, even now we're, we're in a place where we feel like we know what Valley is, but like that's going to change in a year from now when we make another EP or another record or, you know, it's just uh constant evolution i think is the name of the game i think that's why we reference bands like fleetwood mac or even newer like coldplay for instance is a huge influence for us because they've managed to to do that um they've been a band since 1999 and they're still relevant they'll they'll sell out shows around the world for the rest of their lives and i think that has to do a lot with putting in the 10,000 hours and like really working yeah. from literally 1999 and finding um, ways to grow and change, but still remain relevant across like all generations. I think that's the the real beauty of like taking the time to build your artistry and project is you want to be in a place where someone just that's growing up in grade school or high school can listen to your music and have it impact them. But also you want to impact you know someone who's working at their office job and they're in their 30s and maybe someone who's just retired and is in their 60s like you want to be able to to hit as many people as possible and i think that is where the 10,000 hours comes in because you just need to kind of develop and and build and change and and not be like stuck to like one idea of what you can be i love that so so much and i'm such a huge believer of the ten thousand yeah. hours theory so Don't the fact stop. that you said that i was like Yo. all i ever tell people you know we get messages now being like just asking for advice or just overall just like amazing people message us and just say hey like i'm just looking for some career advice and stuff and um there's so many things you could say but the real simple one is just like don't don't ever stop. Like if you really do it long enough, things things will fall out of the sky for you. I, I really believe in that theory with songwriting. Chris Martin says it all the time. Like his best songs just kind of showed up. It just felt like they just fell out of the sky, and he just went on the piano, and they just it just came out. But you only get to that point when you've put in the ten thousand hours. When you've put in all that work prior, yeah, stuff is just gonna kind of come because you're you've 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 really worked up to be in a position where you can catch those ideas and catch those songs and catch that creativity um, with a snap of a finger because you're so in tune yeah. with your emotions and you're in tune with how you work and your craft. And yeah, I think that solely just comes from from the 10,000 hours kind of model. So That's so well said. That's so good. Um, with the band though, as that is some time in the game, mm -hmm. do you have any memories of like milestones? Like as it's coming together, little bits of like, okay, maybe it's working or little bits where maybe you perfected something that wasn't right. Or, you know, just like, do you have those memories of certain sure. chapters? Yeah, there's there's a few. Um, I guess our like biggest one was with this song called Swim. It was on our very first EP called This Room is White. And 
that whole EP was a big discovery piece for us. So kind of talking about kind of the 10,000 hours thing, it's like that was our first kind of like chip in the wall, kind of building this yes. thing. And, yes. And with that EP, you know, we were kind of, feel like a whole different band like at the time uh, I was singing Kara was singing even Mickey was singing some songs like lead and it was just a whole kind of different dynamic but uh and like sometimes you know we'll look back on that EP and be like oh man that like doesn't feel like us anymore that felt so like um you know it's so different from where we are now but I've realized I'm so thankful for putting that EP out because that was the first time we put out a song our first single called swim where like we saw a global impact and like it, and I talked about like getting 500 plays. I remember like swim dropping and I think on like SoundCloud, I remember it got like a thousand plays and then we were like, wow, that's crazy. Like a thousand people. This is nuts. And then from there on Spotify, it hit like the viral 50 charts and like it just started going, going up. And I think that song is like the very first piece of our story where like we were like, okay, this uh, people clearly care and like it's not just in our hometown it's in Korea it's in Australia like we're seeing these numbers just kind of start bubbling and that was like that was a big moment I think swim coming out really like was the trampoline to kind of start um, having us kind of take on like a whole new kind of perspective on our career but that's a that's big so, That's so cool. Yeah. And then selling out like our first hometown show, that was crazy because like we grew up playing at like YMCA and like skate parks and stuff. Like we played to like just like our friends, like anywhere yep. we could. Yep. But like selling tickets and like selling out our first show and like random people that we don't even know showing up and like screaming our like first EP songs, like it's it was just nuts. Like we didn't know how to process that. So I'm really thankful that EP. There was a there's a stage where I was like, man, like that EP is like so different from where Valley is now. And like uh, sometimes artists, I feel like can feel a little embarrassed, and that's natural. Like any creative environment, um, you know, you're gonna look back on your work and be like, that could be better. This could have changed. But after a lot of reflection, I've realized that EP was like one of the most memorable times of our lives. I think things were also simpler back then. Um, we were just like making music and there was a lot less overthinking with with you know the internet not being as prominent at the time and yeah I, it just had a really just memorable kind of imprint on our lives and yeah that's that's one of them. you said that was the room is white uh, this room is white yeah this room is white yeah. <laughs> that's that's wild because what is that 2016 2016 or 2015 yeah i guess we started recording it like 2015 but yeah. God, I crazy. love that era so much. That was such a magical era. Because you're yeah. right, you said that so well. It's like the internet was there. It was a tool. It was discovery. Yeah, it but it didn't nuts. feel so heavy and serious. And yeah. I don't know. Like, that was... I remember going on Instagram, but like I don't remember being on it for hours. Like I remember just kind of like, you know, once a day scrolling through it, maybe at lunch, but like I don't remember being so involved and like I don't know, this morning I woke up and I was on TikTok for an hour. I don't know why. I just was. Yeah. Like it's uh <laughs> I think back and like it was just a different like it's crazy to say it was a different time because it's not even that long ago, but that just goes to show how much like has changed in just a few years, world pandemic including. But <laughs> but you know, I mean <laughs> Yeah. 
what a while. I want to get to that because I, I think it's really interesting mm. to be a band that goes through that. I mean, every band, every artist that I've talked to has. Sure. Um, but like this, everything you're saying right here is so, so good. So mm. the selling out the show. Yeah. Sure. That's awesome to me. How many years in was that? That was still around 2016. Uh, that's like the album or the EP is coming out yeah. and then that's happening. Well, pretty much. Yeah. That was our first like official show. We actually, I mean, secret here but not secret i guess but exclusive <laughs> but we actually put out one ep before that but it got taken down because that was like our real kind of like experimental phase and like we were really still figuring stuff out so before that we did put out an ep and like played one show in toronto but and it was mostly like friends and family you know how it goes and like let's get everyone's aunt and uncle to fill the room and then thumbs up we sold it out but uh but this room is yeah. right. Yeah, that was at the Mod Club, I believe, in Toronto, which was an iconic venue for us to play at the time. Like we saw all our yeah, favorite. Yeah, I've been there. It was nuts. So we we played that, and like that sold out uh, right after the EP came out. So yeah, that that was that night. I think we were all like, okay, let's let's do this. <laughs> yeah, damn, that's so. Like those encouraging moments, man. Like it's like it's always a bit of a grind and you're always perfecting the craft, but mm -hmm. it's just so cool to have those very specific moments where you're like, you know what? Actually, yes, this. I remember this so well. Mm -hmm. And as that happened, did that give you guys like a new like motivation or pressure? Like as you're starting to process that, did it change the dynamic in any good way or bad way? Or like was it more just like cool, fuel for the fire, keep going? Yeah. I think for a second, there was a moment of like, okay, we really want to do this, but like, where do we go from here? And at the time we had like our first yeah. manager managing us um, from New York and like, you know, stuff was starting to happen. And he found us just off Twitter, like randomly, like I think Whoa. Swim came on his like playlist or something on SoundCloud. And then from there, he messaged us on Twitter. So that sick, happened. Sick. Um, and then, yeah, I guess we were starting to realize like, okay, we need a manager. That's step one. Like these were early days. So we're like, okay, I guess we need a manager. And like, what else can we, you know, okay, maybe an agent to start booking some shows. So we were beginning to kind of feel the pressure of like, oh, this is like with it, the things becoming like a business more like, or not that our band is not a business, but like with, with all this stuff happening, we're going to need people working for us. And there's more layers to just like, you know, playing music all the time. So those were, there were those pressures. Um, but we got through them and, you know, any new artist or band has to, you know, go through those things. Um, but on the other side of the coin, we were also kind of battling, not battling, but just figuring out um, stylistically where we're going to go. And like, like I said, Mickey was still singing on that first EP and um, Mickey kind of stepped down from singing. And like, I kind of took on more of the role of, of singing with Kara. And like, we were just kind of having those kind of conversations, which at first were difficult because, you know, we had a certain flow and stuff going, but we're all such a collaborative band. We all studied music production and songwriting and we're, you know, very involved as a group of people. So those decisions weren't as hard as maybe it would be for other band or artist. But we, uh, yeah, th those were kind of the the few things going on, but we got through them. It was it was just a little bit of, you know, growing up, I it's guess. Just growth. Yeah. yeah, it's just natural growth. Um, so we had to had to figure it out. And now, you know, we have a lovely team and have been working with some people for, for a really long time on our team. And that's another thing that I think is super important is like, you know, sticking, yeah. sticking your, Tell me about your day that. ones. And um, sometimes it doesn't work out, but kind of um, keeping people around you that 
um, have been with you before maybe like some more successes happen or something I think is really important and grounding. I think any like major celebrity would tell you that like, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have, you know, my one friend from high school or, or grade school that, you know, knows me before all this happened. That's like a kind of an anchor, I think, for your mental health and sometimes emotional processing um, in this crazy industry. So You're so right. You do hear that so, so often. So another spot of band growth in this whole story, and I think something that's cool to talk about is all these milestones start happening. People start taking notice. Mm -hmm. And as a band, you're kind of faced with these moments of like, I'd say the main three is booking agent, label, manager. Mm -hmm. And those are really important choices to make. And hopefully done right can really level you up. Um, I think more so now than ever, you can go independent and you can do it without some of those pieces. Um, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer there, but how did that, like at what point did all of your pieces kind of start falling into play? Were you guys chasing, getting signed? Like, did you have those moments and how did, how did that play into it? Yeah, so shortly after, I believe we played that sold out show at the Mod Club in Toronto, um, EP was out. We had a manager at the time named Sam. We were kind of just like figuring out what our next steps. So we we did sign with an agent after that show, I believe. I think it was, yeah, shortly after. And, you know, we were starting to kind of figure out, oh, we're going to tour Canada. Or we're going to start playing some more shows. And from there, Universal Canada kind of started um, kind of reaching out and kind of figuring out what's what's going on, what's the deal, what's the story, and kind of how that happened is crazy too. So at the time, our current A&R was like interning at the label. So he was, I don't think he was even yes. getting paid. He was just kind of like at the label trying to, you know, get a job there. He actually put us forward to our old A&R at the label and was like, hey, I found this band Valley and I believe he found us on Twitter as well. So just like we're talking about the digital age, like it did help us as well. So that's something I wanted to get to too. Like obviously the world has changed digitally and internet, but like it did help us. So no shade there. But uh, yeah, basically his name's Matt. He like showed it to our old A&R Don was like, you have to listen to these guys. And then Don from there was like, ah, okay, I guess some intern kid. I'm not going to listen. But then I think he did listen and then he was like, oh boy, okay, we need to get these guys to do a showcase. So in our current studio that we rehearse at now, they like set up this whole showcase where a bunch of label people came in. It was the most nerve wracking thing we've ever done because we're still like, we're not that old. Like we're, we're like shaking. We're like, oh my gosh, we're playing in front of like the president, all these A&Rs, all these people. And there's like no real, like they don't clap after songs. It's just like, they just stare at you while you play music. So very nerve-wracking, but we played the showcase. And from there, um, they're pretty much like, we would love to bring you on board with Universal Music Canada. So we've been with them pretty much since that first EP, since that big kind of milestone moment. So they've been a huge part of our story wow. and development. Um, and yeah, and now full picture, like full circle, Don left to be like a studio manager at Universal and the intern, Matt, is now our A&R. So full circle. So... Just the Let's best go. feeling ever. I remember when we got the call and Don was like, hey, like, I'm actually going to give the job to Matt now. And like, he's going to be our A&R. So like literally the intern that found us is now just our like, our 
main homie at the label and just like our our band dad pretty much <laughs> so you have like this shared come up story or feeling as well yeah. like you guys probably both appreciate it on both 100%. sides like he's probably so invested in oh it. matt's the best and yeah. you have that day one there's trust. such like an emotional thread i like we feel with him and yeah i can't i can't say enough nice things about matt and um, he yeah he just it's a whole different relationship when when yeah exactly you just nailed it like the come up is the same so when I'm dealing with like label things with them, it feels like personal in like the best way. It doesn't feel like yeah. as transactional, maybe as like, you know, some bigger artists have to deal with so many people at a label. But our family here in Canada at the label is pretty tight knit. Like everyone knows each other and um, we all kind of, you know, bump into each other in the city all the time. So it's, it's, it's a kind of a family event that way. But man. I feel like Canadians are just nicer in general. Oh. I feel like there's just like a, I don't know, man. I hear these things and I'm like, that's, that's so rad. We try. I mean, you know, I, I, where are you actually located? Like, where are you? Are you in LA? I'm in, yeah, I'm in oh, Los nice. Angeles. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, but I, I, from the East Coast, grew up in Florida. So very different oh, upbringing sure. and all that. And don't get me wrong. Like, I, I like, I like both places a lot, but you do notice, like, depending on where you're at regionally, For like sure. the way people interact with each other, the way people talk to each other, the values of people, sure. like it's, it's a noticeable yeah, thing. Yeah. With touring. I mean, that I see that a lot. I mean, there's so many, Yeah, my, my perspective is like, there's good people everywhere. And I, I hope that rings true, but um, <laughs> I, I could see how Canada has, uh, has the nice guy, nice gal kind of, uh, attitude and perspective but yeah i mean we try we try to be we try to be nice i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like such a funny yeah like of all like stereotypes or all that like to just be like yeah like we're nice people like that's so funny like that's it's such a very, funny very, stereotype to be associated to yeah, canada we're pretty lucky i guess with that with that title i hope it doesn't change but we're, we're trying yeah <laughs> we're trying yeah. So, okay, beautiful. Your team got assembled, but it's not even like that was the make or break thing. You guys were already building your own success and your own traction. And then that naturally kind of just aligned as you progressed, huh? Yeah. We were, by the time like all the paperwork and everything happened with the actual signing to Universal, we all, we were already like pretty much ahead with like we were much more artistically sound at that point you know mike started our mickey i mean we call him mickey and mike for context for anyone listening uh oh, okay, cool. his nickname but um yeah mickey stepped down from singing and like we kind of like figured out what the roles are going to be a little bit more at least live and kind of on record and yeah and then we started kind of building the next era for our band because we were kind of like okay this room is why it was cool let's kind of like lay that to rest for a bit and let's kind of now work on the next thing you know we're signed to a the biggest label in canada now um, let's like kind of figure out what's next for us and that's how the maybe era began and that's how like that's what really kind of started um you know okay. moving things for us and yeah. that's like that was a whole other chapter oh, of like, oh cool. well, it's, it's it's doing yeah. stuff so we were already starting to write our debut album before they even signed us. So we were all kind of already bubbling up kind of that album and getting it ready. So because we knew as soon as they signed us, we want to get right to work on that debut and drop it. Kind of yeah. that be our first statement as a band, newly on the label and kind of, yeah, that was the first thing we worked on. And that album is what like 2019 ish yeah it came out maybe? in parts so it kind of like i think it crossed 2018 2019 but because we did uh maybe it was put out inside so it was like side a side b and then there was like a side 
uh, like a deluxe side. And then it all came together at the end. So now on Spotify, it's just like one long. Um, oh, that's cool. One record. Yeah. So we, we spaced it out um, because we were doing a lot of touring while it was dropping. So we wanted to kind of have these moments with it. Um, we actually stole it. That's a really smart idea. Yeah, we, we stole <laughs> we it from actually, John Mayer. Um, but hey, great art imitates great art. What's the saying? I don't even know. But um, we, we uh, imitation, imitation is the is highest the, form of flattery. It. Yeah. Wow. I really butchered yeah. that as a as an artist. <laughs> I kind of liked yours. I was like, dang, I need that yeah, one. Write it down. Um, but yeah, what John Mayer was it. doing. Oh, there you go. Um, John Mayer was doing like these waves at the time. He was like dropping like these little like wave things that he like was just a few songs at a time. And we were just like, that's great. Let's do like sides. So we did, yeah, side A, B and kind of a C deluxe. So yeah, that's um, that's kind of the first thing we worked on with the label. And um, yeah, so proud of that. I think maybe was like to this day, I listened to it and like that's, there's no other first debut album we could have dropped like that it holds up as like valley's first debut and it's exactly what we wanted to say and do at the time and that's i think we're so lucky with universal they allowed us and to this day universal and now we're working with capital as well in the states so we kind of that that whole thing happened but uh (laughs) universal has just really given us so much creative reign and so much trust and like um, compassion to our art and like how we make things and I cannot say enough about like getting that kind of creative hall pass I guess you could call it or something to to just be ourselves un- unapologetically and with that debut album they basically were like hey go make an album come back deliver it and let's go so you know there that's that's what we did we went to LA and New York and wrote with a bunch of friends and people and came back and produced it all in our little basement at my ex-parents house um very basic setup and we just did it all there with our friend andy um who kind of co-produced the debut and yeah and then delivered it and then that's it and like that that's that's honestly some of the best memories i think to this day as a band is just like getting that green light to just be like go make your debut album and come back with something special and like we came back with a 16 song album with like transitions and like a it was basically a movie like maybe is really like a movie without picture this is why i'm so glad to be talking to you right now because as i was like the uneducated fan (laughs) i didn't put that together i didn't understand that i liked it right like listening i'm like oh cool yeah i like this band i like these songs (laughs) but when you hear that like for me now the first thing i'm gonna do when we get done with this is i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna listen to it front to back and like Oh, I get oh, it. Right? Do. I, I love when people tell me that. They're like, oh, I listen to maybe top to bottom. I'm like, that's honestly how it was intended to be listened to. Um, very much yeah, like a well, story. that's the thing. Intro, outro, like it just has all the little bits to make it kind of, uh, yeah, as cinematic as we wanted it to be. Um, that really was like a yeah. movie for us to make um, through sound. Well, <laughs> I really love hearing that because I think that great art is something that can be consumed on a surface level and enjoyed but then as an as like a real real deep fan or as you go digger like dig deeper into mm-hmm. it when you find the layers and when you find you're like wait they thought about this they cared this ties to this ties to this ties to this there's nothing more rewarding than finding that in your favorite artist or in art that you like so when when best. 
creators take the time to do that, I just have so much respect for it because it's all too easy to phone it in these days. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. I think, as I was saying, like that's what we did with our favorite artists. I would, um, finding through lines. I think through lines for us is like really important in our music and our visuals. Um, all our visuals have little through lines. I don't even think all our fans like see all of them because we we hide a lot of that stuff. And like even our our like maybe has so many through lines like the intro has like lyrical ties to the outro and like a lot of the songs uh, reference each other lyrically and um that's something that we've like always loved since day one bands like coldplay do it really well and like the 975 and just like that stuff just really hits i think a listener and like that's the pushing point of like a listener or a consumer becoming like a like a fan like someone like an someone that's invested in you beyond just the surface level, you know, um, because I listen to a lot of artists daily, but there's like a select few that I've like put my time and soul into and like really went through their discography and like um, believe so much. Um, and I think that is a product of like looking for those through lines and like artists putting time into connecting everything. Um, I think that's super important. And I don't think every artist should do it. Like it's not a, a requirement. There's no requirement to, to making great art, but for us personally, that's what we consumed growing up with other artists. So that's what we kind of put back out into the world as almost a respect. So our next yeah, like project has through lines. And then we're already writing our second record. And like literally the opening song right now has like 50 references to our, our first record. Like there's also there's so many little lines and stuff. So 50 is over exaggerating, but just a lot. So we're yes. always thinking about that. We always want our listeners and those people that have like really invest in our band to, to, you know, be laying in their bed or driving and being like, whoa, like I've heard that line or I've heard that sound or they've used that before. And like it's recycled in this like beautiful way in another song. Those are like light bulb yeah. moments, I think, for listeners that just like make them feel so heard and more invested. Well, I don't know. Perhaps I could add to what you're saying and say that as the artist, as the creator, you don't have to do that. Make your art however you see fit. Mm -hmm. But maybe you're hedging your bet when you do things like that and you put that much time and care and through lines into something to turn listeners into fans. Yeah. Maybe that's something that an artist could think with of like, this is another way to take a surface level listener and gives you a chance to make a real fan. Whereas maybe that's a missed opportunity if there isn't deeper through lines and meetings. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's so important. It's like, cool. We were talking about like movies and like the kind of you know maybe is a very cinematic album, and we we are very influenced by like pop culture and just TV and movies. Like that's a huge impact on our writing lyrically specifically. Us doing that and maybe kind of came from like um, Marvel does that really well. I don't know if you're from like in, into Marvel movies, but like. Um, for the longest time, like I believe Stan Lee, like was in the, um, oh yeah, he would always, always show up cameo. as a cameo. And I think that's like such a little thing that, like, let's say, like my parents will watch a Marvel movie and not notice that, but like someone that's invested and knows that that's that's coming, that just makes you feel such a love, like even more of a love for the art and the detail. And like Hitchcock did that too. Like Hitchcock would like star in the background of his of his like shorts and stuff sometimes and he would just like appear somewhere and like i don't know i just love that idea so that's kind of our 
our uh, our Stan Lee moment or something where we just kind of like we'll throw in a lyric or a sound or take something from another past kind of era of Valley and yeah that's just like so part of our DNA and I I don't think we'll ever stop doing that you know sometimes we'll maybe do it less but that's just us again exploring and discovering but we uh, we're always going to find ways to like find through lines I think as a band. Yeah, that that's really cool to understand even further in that. And I don't know, it's like kind of that reminder to that there's not really rules when you're making and creating stuff. There's guidelines and there's structure, but the more you can kind of challenge and break rules in creative ways or add your own twist to things, like that just evolves music and art as a whole. Yeah. So again, like that's cool when when anyone can do that. I love that. Yeah. And you kind of answered this. I was going to ask you like just more directly what the songwriting process is as the band. And I feel like you kind of did touch into it, but has it always been a pretty uh, collective thing? Like, do you work with producers or is it pretty much just y'all? Like, what, what's that like? So with um, This Room is White, we wrote that pretty much entirely ourselves and produced it all in just Mickey's parents' basement. They were gracious enough to give us a studio and like we still work there all the time. And with our debut album, maybe we we wrote most of that ourselves with the help of Andy Seltzer to come in, um, who's a dear friend of ours to help produce. He kind of co-produced that with us and did some writing together. He's kind of like the secret fifth member of the band. He's a, he's awesome. Oh, cool. But so we've always done like, we've always been open to collaboration, but like I said, like we studied a little bit of music production and a little bit of like engineering and stuff before we dropped out to do Valley. So we have a background on that that really helped us kind of develop our own style and sound for producing. So right now, like the next body of work and then like Sucks to See You Doing Better, our latest DP, we produced pretty much entirely ourselves. Um, Mickey will be on the laptop and I'll do stuff in Logic. And then Alex will, you know, is also engineering and Kara even engineers and stuff and does, you know, so much um, so much cool stuff production wise and she's just like a genius so yeah we're all kind of uh, involved very heavily it's not as uh, I say this a lot but it's like I find our situation is so unique like just the way we met but also just the the dynamic I find with a lot of bands specifically there's more walls put up and I don't think there it's intentionally it's just like everyone kind of follows their strength so you know the lead yeah. singer will come with the songs and then the band will be like, that's cool. Let me write a guitar part. And then the bassist, oh, I'll write the bass part to it. Like, it's kind of like, oh, everyone just has their role and sometimes they cross. But with Valley, it's like there's no roles assigned. Like there's there's roles assigned live. Like I have to sing the song with Kara and she's drumming and Mike has to do synths and stuff and Alex plays bass. But um, in the studio, it's like there's choruses that I didn't write that Kara wrote or like, you know, Mickey wrote the bridge or Alex wrote the guitar part. Like we're so multi kind of versed in that way. And that's kind of the way we've done it forever. And then if we're collaborating so with cool. people, we'll work with like other writers and other artists a lot too. We love writing with other artists. I think that's where you get a lot of magic um, when two artists kind of get in a room or two bands and like, you know, you just start making stuff. So always doing that. All of our, pretty much anything we put out in the world is usually in co collaboration with someone either writing or maybe some production but but we're super proud of like producing a lot of our stuff and we do it all like just in mickey's basement like parents basement still so we can kind of do it anywhere which i'm i really love because even on the road we can produce and write and yeah that's another thing with the digital kind of age that we're in that's so awesome like there's so many 
positives. Like we can make a record anywhere now. Like we don't go to a studio anymore. We I could do it in my room. Um, yeah. That advantage has, has helped a lot for our band. Yeah. I think it's cool like hearing that because I'll talk to so many solo artists on this podcast, right? Well, they'll learn their own production or maybe it's more of like the hip hop leaning side or whatever. And you really, all you need is a laptop in yourself. But to hear that translated into a, a full band is actually super, super sick to me yeah. to hear that because I feel like certain times bands can be like, well, we're a band, so we can't do that. We have to go here or there. So hearing you explain that, I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah, I think that's kind of the new, I think for me, the new kind of wave, especially for bands. Like so, solo artists, it's a little different. And there's cons to that too. Like I, I feel for a lot of solo artists, like I have a lot, we have a lot of friends that are solo artists and like it gets lonely and you have to do a lot of stuff yourself. Like we have each other in a band to lean on. Like, you know, if I'm feeling sick one day and I don't want to do an interview, Mickey or Kara can take it. And like, there's so much leniency there and 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 compassion for for each other. But you know, with a solo artist, it's like you're kind of you know, it's all on you. And like, I feel that pressure for for artists um, in that situation. And like, it's a lot to handle. So I, I'm also very grateful for our dynamic and our chemistry. I think our chemistry is something I would I hold very close to my heart. Um, beyond everything, beyond any success or anything we have um, in the future, our chemistry is what I think keeps us together. And like the fact that, you know, it's not just me bringing the full song to the band and being like, this is the song, learn it. I don't want to change anything. Like the fact that we can all look at each other and be like, okay, hey, like this could be better, or I'm going to write a better part for this, or maybe you do the drum part here, or Kara, can you do the piano part? Like it's, it's all collaborative. And that's that's how you know that's how the chemistry happens and the respect and the compassion and like the empathy for each other's ideas um i think that's really important for bands specifically and i think that's why i don't know if that's why there's like less bands nowadays like i i still feel like there's a lack of bands and i might be wrong there's a lot of bands but like i grew up in like the vans warp tour era in high school so like there was just like so many pop punk bands and pop rock bands and stuff that I was consuming all the time and loved. But now it feels, yeah, like I feel like there's a little bit of a lack of bands, but I know there's so many out there. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like we're we're a prime example that like just things don't have to be as like boxed. I find with a lot of bands, even growing up, it was like that where it's like the singer, the guitarist, the bassist, the drummer. And like, I don't know. It's just like now anything is possible, I think, dynamically. And I think we're also getting much more interesting bands. And I think that's what's so fun is like, there's there's so many just incredibly talented people out there that are like inspiring and blowing our minds every day. So, <laughs> Dude, I, I love the way you said that. And I think it's more like, yeah, there are bands. There totally oh, yeah. are. But I think right now, at least just the common trends and what we've been seeing more of in the spotlight is solo artists. Sure. And I'm sure that's cyclical. I'm sure there's ebbs and flows exactly, and all of yeah. that. But it really gives me hope and excitement hearing you explain the modern day version of being in a band that takes care of each other because mm -hmm. you're so right. And like for me, even like my start to music was tour managing my best friends, like getting into That's a 15-passenger awesome. van and going out and doing that. that. And you're so right. Like, 
there are those days where you're just not on and you have all of each other to lean on and you have this, maybe even this added self, uh, sense of confidence mm -hmm. because you have all these people that believe in you and that are so excited to be there doing it together where that is kind of magic. And I really never thought about that as a solo artist is you do kind of lose some of that experience, don't you? It's so true. Yeah. And that's something I've recently re reflected on because like, um, like I said, like I have a lot of artists, friends that are, you know, solo projects and it's like, they often remind me, they're like, oh yeah, but like you have like Karen, and Mickey and Alex to like, you know, help you on a bad day or, or to help with this or to, you know, maybe help with some business logistics stuff that, you know, is kind of draining. Like, you know, that's, that's all there and we're all there to help each other. So very grateful, very lucky. And I am counting my, yeah. counting my, my blessings every day for that. So. that that's no, that, that's, that's really, really cool. And yeah. it's like another level of doing this podcast with you right now is like, I'm in real time kind of blown away by that because I love, I love having a conversation, not knowing where it's going to go and personally leaving it with a new like insider way of thinking. And you just did that to me oh. where I'm like, damn sick. Yeah. That that's so tight. So um, I would love to know more cool. about kind of your background. I, I feel, I feel so uh, rude just talking about myself but well no no it's as as the podcast i always say this like when a listener is tuning in because they want to know about valley they want to sure. know about you there's plenty time i can do an episode i can talk about me so i hate it when hosts make it all about them oh, sure. but that's very kind of you and we did kind of miss a spot where in the beginning like you got right at valley so we'll we'll really quick right here i'll tell you my super short tldr and then i want to hear about your warp tour days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so mine was cars and skateboarding till 16 my best friends started a band in florida and i can't play at all so then uh they just knew i was like good at like business and logistics and you're like you want to come sell shirts and help us get around and i was like I yeah that. sounds fun and then it was like super fun the band got signed we traveled all over I then worked at a record label and blah, 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 got to here. So that's my like two second version. What is your early days? How did you like, were you like full warp Tour kid as well? Yeah, I was, I was like somewhere in the middle. Like I think after like in grade school, like I think grade seven, eight, when I like kind of had my own independence of like, you know, choosing the music I can listen to and stuff like, like my parents just like tossed me like classics growing up. So like, I was lucky to like, you know, have Motown and 70s rock and all the Brit pop stuff my parents gave me. But I remember grade seven, grade eight, I was like, oh man, like Blink-182 and like Bowling for Soup yes! and like yes! My Chemical Romance. I'm like, this is music that's like making me feel right now. Like I feel this angst and like anger and like, I'm like probably like getting over dude, like, dude. I, uh, relationship in grade eight or grade seven like i'm i'm just like sitting in my room like jamming to like helena or something i don't know whatever whatever or i'm, I'm not kidding <laughs> literally last night i had this conversation with a friend where i didn't realize her first album of like whoa this is crazy was enema of the state by blink Ugh. and we had this moment Great where it's album. like that was the first album that i heard where I was like, oh, this music is different from the radio or like it felt like relatable to me or like I found this hidden thing yeah. and she had that same moment and it's like, it's so like crazy. A whole other specific relatability albums. and I think that's why I, I gravitated toward uh, like a lot of Vans Warped Tour bands, like um, more of the popular side because I know there's like so much like going on at those, you know, on those tours, you know, there's so many subgenres and like metal and 
post metal yeah. and like pop rock and punk pop. But I was like really into like the main and like Mayday Parade and like a rock to the moon, like just kind of like bands that were doing pop songwriting. Like it was very well written music, but just like almost disguised with like heavier guitars and stuff and like more kind of like of that kind of production. But that's what like really like I gravitated towards. And like uh, th- those like Vans Warped Tour, like that whole era of music. And it's it's weird to call it like an era, like it's in the past, but like it kind of feels like that was like its own moment. Um, had a huge impact on me. Um, those were, you know, that was the first time I heard like more pop music in that kind of context. And Blink-182 even are like such well-written pop songs, but they're just done in a way that feel, at least for me, felt so much more relatable to like, I don't know, a grade, a kid in grade nine or in high school, like working a shitty part-time job in like a suburb, like, like Tom DeLonge was like, and Mark were like singing to me, like, like that's, that's, I think a big part of like that era of music. And like, I don't know, they just like sang about really like relatable, sometimes silly things. That's like, man, like I, I feel that more than maybe like a song I'm hearing on the radio right now. Like I just like really feel like the, the connection with the lyrics and just kind of the, I don't know. It just felt like they were just everyone on Fans Warp Tour and and like in Blink and just they all just felt like kids that just like played in their mom's basement and then by fluke like kind of got in a van and started touring and then success yeah. happened. Like I don't know. There's just such a relatability to the unfilteredness of it. It was just kind of like say it yeah, as it, it is and you know put it in three minutes and some guitars. It was so human and you're right. Like it it felt so relatable. And I think that that inspired, I mean, you talked to so many artists that came that are around our age and hearing stories similar to this, right? Like the Blink 182s, the Green Days, all of the Warped Tour era. How did I forget about talking about Green Day? Green Day was big. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all that similar era and it's like, I don't know. It just made it so much more accessible. And I think you're right. Like it made it feel like any friends could just get in a van and like play music. And even for me being terrible at music and not good at it, it made me feel like, oh, here's a community. And here's like where a bunch of friends can get together and feel like themselves. And that feeling early on in your age or in your teenage years. And I don't know. I just think there's something important there. I think it's really, really cool. Full circle. Like Green Day was doing through lines too. Like when American Idiot came out, that is like a beautiful concept record. Like I remember when we were talking about maybe and making our debut, like American Idiot was a reference in terms of just like the arc of it and like how like angry but and frustrated that album sounded, but also how poppy and how beautiful crafted the writing was. And that's like another band that like changed me and Alex's life. Like Alex like covered Green Day at high school talent shows like every year. Like that was his thing. Like because yeah, they they were speaking to us, and like not even that. They're like my parents are like immigrants from Europe. Like they immigrated to Canada, and like even for them, like listening to like rock music that actually had like like it was frustrating and had intent, but it had pop melodies. Like it's like I can listen to this, and it's like an earworm. But like this guy's like frustrated here right now, and like he has like he has a message that he's trying to get across that's like more complicated than like maybe something that they were used to hearing. So I don't think all those little. Easter eggs being planted in our brains of like that kind of era of music was really important. It was very freeing and it made us kind of like, you know, imagine a world outside of this like tiny suburb outside of Toronto. I know Jack Antonoff from Bleachers always talks about this, 
Um, like growing up in New Jersey and like being in the shadow of New York City, like that's kind of what like California and all and like San Diego and all these places that these bands are coming from. And like uh, Green Day was Oakland, California, I believe. So it's like it made us just like daydream that like, man, if like if we just got in a van and did this here, like we could probably do that, too. Like because that's all they did. Like they just kind of grew up to got in a van and just started doing it. They were just like wanted to play music for the rest of their lives. So very formative years and i think that's what i'm i'm i was saying when like there's not enough bands i didn't mean that in disrespectfully there's so many bands now but like that era of bands was like very special when you really look back on it and that's also due to not having so much social media and there was just this like i don't know free like like almost like hippiness to it it was like the revival of like woodstock in a way but like i don't know it just felt very dude i like that was our I feel it. That was yeah. our moment for like at least for like nineties born kids. Like that was that was what we looked at as like the like Woodstock, like the like where people were just like, we're gonna do this, get in the van, we're gonna play shows wherever we can. And like, I don't know. It's just really special. And it's it's I don't I think both you and I could agree, like us talking about it and reminiscing like that is not to like shake a stick at it and be like the new age and social media and the internet and it's all wrong. Like, no, hell yeah. Like what's happening right now and music is sick, but it's just really cool to look back and see like there was a slight difference and to see how inspiring that was and what we learned from that. Because the thing that I was going to say to you is like, you realize that you very well could be doing this to a whole new generation of kids right now. Like just by y'all doing Valley, there's probably kids that are picking up their first instruments that are referencing you and that are being like, damn, they did this, this, and this like this. And that's wild to think about too. It makes me like, I honestly tear up when thinking about that. Cause that's like, I don't know. I just see myself and Alex and Mickey and Kara like looking at green day or something and being like okay i'm gonna learn american idiot right now let's like and i'm like sitting in front of my parents dell computer with guitar tabs being like okay this really hurts my fingers (laughs) um that just makes me so happy that someone might be doing that and being like i'm gonna learn this valley song and like um yeah it's it's incredible I'm we're so, so lucky to so have lived cool. through that. I, I we we have to consider ourselves lucky to like grow up at a time where like just before phones were controlling us and like we just had a little bit of insight on uh on that kind of era of music. But yeah. Dude, sometimes like on this podcast, I'll, I'll like I'll have certain guests that can speak to that so well and I'll so selfishly like deep dive and ask questions where it's just things like I had Chris Georgian who toured with Blink 182 and so managed awesome. them during like the era or Kevin uh, Lyman that started Warp Tour and like these little moments where I'm like, tell me this, tell me this. And it's like, <laughs> and it's purely just me needing to fan out and needing to hear these things because oh, I barely scratched the surface of experiencing it to the level that certain people did, but we idolized those yeah. moments. That's no, a big um, part of our, our band culture. For sure. I think the best way to conclude this episode, though, is we're talking about this and how that you you could be paying it forward or there could be this next generation that's inspired by you. Mm. So if you were to be in that position where somebody is listening to this and they do look to you as inspiration and the band and everything you're doing, what advice would you give to that person that's looking to get it going and and sees everything that you're doing and maybe even looks back at the Green Day days and all of that. Sure. Oh man, I feel like I always try to prepare like an answer and it never it never pans out because like 
I prefer it to be more candid yeah. anyway. Oh man. It's so it's, it's so much pressure because it's not it's never one thing. It's a, it's it's many pieces of little advice. Um, that's true. I mean, that's very. I true. mean, we touched on it earlier. I think there's a lot of um, of planning and kind of overthinking. I think, especially anyone that's listening right now, that's you know maybe well into their career or you know scared of of taking the next step or. Um, just or even just like doesn't know where to start. I think the greatest the greatest resource is is other people and and, and other and and the world that we have now presented in front of us. And again, it sounds like contradicting to what we've been talking about. Um, but we're just talking about just the general change of things that have, that have happened in the media and digital age and music and whatever. But I think one of the greatest resources for me was just human connection and people and and meeting meeting people that I actually could uh, uh, um, feel a connection with, and that went beyond those records and Green Day and all those bands we just talked about. Those were people that influenced me, but didn't seem reachable. But if you could find people in your hometown, in your school, in your skate park, and wherever you 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 show up, do it because you just never fucking know what's gonna happen. Um, that's what happened to me. I just just show up every day and just try and don't stop. I think that's the one through line. I've I've spoken to so many people at different points in their careers. Some people that are extremely um, successful, or some people that just just the perspective has always been the same. No matter who I've talked to and taken advice from, is just show up every day. Don't stop. Put your ten thousand hours in. Learn. There's so many resources now on the internet and the world even tiktok is such an amazing resources resource i know people shit on tiktok all the time but i learned so much off tiktok like about music production and stuff and following pages so just yeah find find people that you resonate with and 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 value that over anything else because everything else can be rearranged planned like that all can fall into place once you have a a burning passion and like have people around you that will support you and bring out the best in you. Um, I'm so lucky that I, I found, you know, my bandmates and for you that, you know, whoever's listening, that might look different. It might be, you know, just friends that can support you and work for you. I mean, we're talking about how you just jumped in a van and, and, you know, became a tour manager, like changed my life. life. Literally, Literally that moment changed my life. And you're right. Just it was find, just friends. It was having real just friends. Find those people that you can have, you know, genuine dreams with and connection and and compassion with. And I promise that will be the the thread that holds everything else together. We're living in an age where everything else can just happen. You know, you can get discovered through a DM. You could put up a song on on Spotify and it just take off. Like you just you can't predict viralness or success or anything. Um, but the one thing that like your Instagram app or whatever can't buy is like genuine human connection. You could definitely form connection, but um, just practice taking that further and building relationships. I think that's going to be the most important piece to your career is just having people around you that believe you and love you and will give you the the resources and the strengths that you don't have to to do what you love. So very long-winded answer, but I think uh, just people, just good, just surround yourself with 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 great people that you uh, align with. That's that's what I'll, that's that what I'll say. <laughs> beautiful oh, 
That was so well said. That you're like over here, like, oh, I don't know I don't anything know. off the top. I'm just kind of running with it, but I I do genuinely believe that. There's there's a lot of pieces of advice I've gotten, but I will say the through line is just is what I just said. Is the most of Yeah. And it's so timeless, right? Like this that that advice, like who knows what happens with social media and the internet and how things evolve and this and that and this, but like mm as long as life exists, human connection is so fulfilling and so important. Of course. So I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Dude, thank you so yeah. much for doing this podcast. Like this more was... than I, you probably know. I, <laughs> it's so nice just to like, um, again, this is to my last point. Like it's so nice to meet someone and actually have like a genuine conversation for an hour. I know it's a lot about me talking about myself and my career, but I feel like we bonded in a way that I don't usually get to bond. You know, usually I'm doing interviews and they're like 15 minutes, bang out the questions and then, okay, see you later. Might never see you again. Right. But uh, I think that's uh, to end it like a podcast. That's why I love podcasts so much. I listen to podcasts all the time is because I just love being a, a fly on the wall to a conversation, but B, also just like having the time to actually dive into what we talked about today, I think is so valuable. And I feel like there's a trade-off of of knowledge and love and just, yeah, um, I could not thank you enough. This feels like a, almost like a therapy session, like for my own, just like, Bro. you know what I mean? Like that's- You're so welcome though. And I, I do feel you because I actually, as you were saying that, I, I had a thing to add to what you're saying about human connection. Like I remember a spot, not like super, super dark, but I was feeling very lost. Mm. And I didn't feel like I had those people in my life that I really felt like I, I wanted to align with. Like I had these aspirations that were so high and I couldn't find anyone that like saw it like that. And the, like podcasts were so massively helpful to me then because it still felt like human connection. I could still hear these conversations that got me thinking like that. So that's like another cool thing. It's like, that's so cool that you share that because somebody in search of their people could hear your thing and feel that much more connected when maybe there isn't that in-person connection. So thank Thank you you. for sharing that to whoever hears this. Thank you for doing it. Like podcast, I think is one of the best inventions ever made. Like like just taking what we just did, like I wasn't on my phone for a whole hour. Like, like, you know what I mean? And just like, we get to just talk like that's so rare these days. I feel like I go to a meeting, I go anywhere. Everyone's kind of always just flustered with these things. And like, I don't know, the fact that like something like this still exists in the world is really nice. Just like a nice hour of conversation, no distractions. And we just get to like, you know, talk. I don't know. I think that's so beautiful. So never stop doing it. And um, I'm looking forward to to listening to more episodes because I'm a podcast nut. I love it. Dude, absolutely. Thank you for all of that. And it, there's some very, some very deep mutual love here. And uh, it's just cool. I'm so glad we connected because it, yeah. Thanks for just, the DM. One more person that gets it. Yeah. 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 So I thank you can. internet for exactly. the, the platform to make a human connection. to then give us human connection. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Full circle. Sick. So there it is. Rob's story, the story of Valley, the band. I hope you liked it. If you made it here to the end and you didn't for any reason, shoot me a DM. Let me know what I can improve. And if you did, shoot me a DM. Let me know what you liked about it and send it to a friend that you think would like the podcast. The entire way this has grown has been word of mouth and sharing it, which has been the coolest thing in the world. That just about says it. I'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you for listening.